Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And we will be reading these very familiar words that run from verses 26 to 38. And in the scheme of the Advent calendar, this is, as the Boyles told us, the angel's calendar. And you will note, uh, compared to most of the rest of the Bible, that in the opening chapters of Luke's gospel, angels uh, show up in people's lives in something of a profusion, far beyond uh, their appearance uh, throughout most of Scripture. They're there. Uh, Very few people, as we'll come back to, ever see them. But here in Luke chapter 1, suddenly, uh, they're showing up all over the place. Um... And there's a reason for that, that is being outlined and laid open in Luke 1, 26 to 38. So let's stand together uh, and read these very, very familiar words. Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom There will be no end. And Mary said, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. O Lord, may you answer us, as the psalmist says, in the day of trouble. May the name of you who are the God of Jacob be found protecting us. May you send us help from your sanctuary and 
Give us support from your throne in Zion in the highest. And may you remember our offerings to you in regard with favor, our approach to you. Father, at this Christmas season, we know that there are many, many who come to this particular Christmas season and experience it a bit as a time of the year where it seems troubling. For some, the first time in many, many decades in which their spouse is no longer here. And any number of people are still adjusting to that who have lost spouses in even recent years. And the celebration of Christmas and all that used to happen reminds them of loss as well as hope, of loss as well as gain, pain as long as, as well as anticipation and joy. And we pray for such people, Lord. We ask that you would answer them as they cry out for comfort in what feels like a day of trouble. May you grant us, O Lord, our heart's desire and fulfill our plans for good and service, the service of your name. May you fill up our petitions as we pray for those who at this time of the year again, and they are many, who find themselves taking medical tests, waiting for results to return, who find themselves in treatment programs, who find themselves with people who they wish were coming home that aren't, who find themselves in all manner of circumstances that are less than the ideal. Oh Lord, fulfill the petitions of such that call out to you for mercy in these days in which we are so abundantly reminded of your capability For as our text says, nothing, nothing will be impossible with you, O Lord and our God. So come, Father, and meet us in in this text where we are reminded of how you began to unfold the ancient promise of the coming Messiah in and through the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, in space and time history, through a woman named Mary, visiting Bethlehem from Nazareth. Come and enable us, O Lord, to hear your voice in these your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Now, the naive me would be tempted and was tempted to believe, you know, that by this time in, uh, in television-saturated America, everyone would have seen uh, the Frank Capra film, It's a Wonderful Life, at least once. But I've surveyed audiences, and I know this isn't true. I know this isn't true. Many, many of you have never seen it and hence the need of a brief explanation uh, before uh, this illustration that I'm opening with will work. Now, my favorite character in the movie is the angel, whose name is Clarence Oddbody. Um, it's a Wonderful Life is, is a great example of the fact that you should never learn theological material from Hollywood. Um, and in particular, 
you would not want to learn your angelology uh, from the movie It's a Wonderful Life. Because in the movie It's a Wonderful Life, where angels come from is that they are the result of people who have died and then go to heaven and then through some sort of merit system earn their full angel status of having wings. A place to which Clarence has not yet arrived, so he is still considered uh, an AS2, which he explains uh, to George Bailey means angels second class, uh, because he has yet he is yet to earn his wings. Uh, but he does have some power. In fact, he has the power to grant a wish to the despairing George Bailey, a wonderful man who has lived for others all of his life, but now through a circumstance not related to any fault of his own. He has fear that his life is destroyed, and he feels as if he would be better off dead than alive, and in fact makes the statement to Clarence that it would have been better had George Bailey never been born. And so Clarence grants him the wish. And now the world is as if George Bailey had never been born. And the town of Bedford Falls, New York, has changed dramatically. The name of the town, the name of businesses, they all change overnight. It goes from Bedford Bedford Falls to Pottersville. And after this happens, the very first place they go is also the last place George had been before. The change is a bar. It was called Martinis, now it's called Nick's. And it's a very different kind of bar. It's a much rougher and more caustic place. And Clarence and George Bailey wander into Nick's. And as Nick hits the cash register and the bell sounds, Clarence says, whoop, an angel just got his wings. Every time a bell rings, an angel got his wings. Uh, Nick does not appreciate this comment. Um, And so uh, George reaches over to Clarence and says, you know, it would really probably be best if you didn't talk about angels in here. To which Clarence responds, well, don't they believe in angels? And George says, well, yeah, I mean, they they do. To which Clarence replies, then why should they be surprised when they see one? Now that's where we pick it up. Why should they be surprised when they see one? Well, because even in the Bible, nobody ever sees them. Almost nobody ever sees an angel. Oh, Abraham sees a few. Um, Jacob wrestles with one. Parents of Samson, his mother in particular, encounters one. But through most of Scripture, nobody ever sees an angel, though the presupposition is there that they are there by the countless numbers. Armies of them are there. But nobody, no one ever sees them, which is what is so striking about the Gospel of Luke. For as I mentioned, it opens with a profusion of angels showing up. First to the priest, Zechariah. Well, he is doing his service in the temple in Jerusalem. And it's Gabriel that shows up and speaks to him inside the temple about the birth of John the Baptist. And now in our text, Gabriel again shows up 
And he's talking to Mary. The text that we looked at last week in chapter 2, an unnamed angel shows up and speaks to some shepherds in the field, and before long, he's joined by an entire army of angels chanting. As we noted last week, something along the lines of Hail to the chief in anticipation of the arrival of the Christ. So the the obvious question is, so what's with all the angels in Luke 1 and 2? Well, the very theological apostle Paul would summarize the whole thing and does in Galatians 4, 4 and 5 this way. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. But when the fullness of time came, code language for when the great promises of the coming Messiah were fulfilled, which is what happened in the coming of the Son of God into the world. That, that is the center of the center of the center of things. God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time came. That's the concept that the author C.S. Lewis will pick up on in his children's story, The Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, in which ancient prophecy said when daughter, sons of Adam and daughters of Eve show up, something big is about to happen while well, they've, they've shown up. And those who believe are of a buzz, and I believe it's one of the beavers who makes this statement. Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And that's the message that Luke understands himself to be sending as these angels show up. One after the next, after the next, with Isaiah and Micah in his background. This is Luke's way of saying, and Yahweh was on the move. Yahweh was on the move. And the indication that that is so is indicated specifically by the fact that these angels have begun to show up rapid fire, one after the next, around the central move of all human history, the incarnation of the Son of God into this world, which is what we celebrate at Christmas time. I'd state our thesis for this morning this way. Uh, We are encouraged to embody the truth of the incarnation by means of a story. In other words, this little tale is meant to pull us in to the worldview of the tale, the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview. For this is the actual world in which we live. We've always lived in it. It's the only world that there's ever been. It's the only world that will ever be. And it'll issue forth into a new heaven and a new earth. And the angel says to Mary in verse 35, Therefore the child that will be born to you will be called holy, the Son of God. Three observations. Number one, an angel has a message for Mary and the world. An angel has a message 
for Mary and the world, verses 26 through 33. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. The house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, tried to discern what sort of greeting this may be. And the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. Um, Verse 28, as the angel says to Mary, Hail! Hail! The King James Version I like the best. Hail! Thou that art highly favored. Thou that art highly favored. It's a perfect passive participle. Hail, Mary, you who have been and continue to be highly favored of God. Favored to what? Favored to be the vehicle of bringing into the world the one that will be called holy, the Son of God. Greetings to you, the one who has been highly favored. He comes back to her because she's troubled by this. Don't be afraid, Mary, verse 30. For you have found favor with God, grace with God. So both of those terms, they're, not, they're, they're, they're related, but they're not the same word, actually. Oh, one's, a, one's a verb, but, the, but, but they're just not quite even the same root. They're very closely related. They're very closely related. And the idea is, Mary, you have been given this calling you have completely by the grace of God. Uh, so this is why you shouldn't be afraid. You have found favor with God. Now I'm going to reference a movie that almost none of you ever seen because it didn't go anywhere at the box office, though it had two gigantic, gigantic actors in it. Uh, Meet Joe Black. Meet Joe Black, where Anthony Hopkins plays a a billionaire uh, overseeing a media empire and Brad Pitt plays the angel of death, who calls himself Joe Black. Uh, I'll just fast forward to the end of the movie where finally uh, uh, the Anthony Hopkins character, William Parrish, is dying at the age of 65. He actually dies on the night of the celebration of his 65th birthday there um, on Long Island on his great big mansion overseeing uh, the Hudson River. But right at the end of the film, as uh, the angel, played by Brad Pitt and Hopkins, walk over the hill into death, the Hopkins character says to death, do I have any reason to be afraid? And the Pitt character responds, oh no, somebody who's lived a life like you No, 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 no. Not a Christian life, not a religious life, just somebody who's lived a noble, successful, 
land you on the Hudson River in a mansion sort of life, what could you possibly have to fear from death? That's the message. Well, that kind of thinking is exactly the reverse of what you have here applied to Mary. The idea is not at all that the Lord surveyed young Jewish women and found Mary at the top. And therefore, as according to her merits, favored her. No, no, no. No, no, it's exactly the opposite. The idea is Mary was highly favored out of the clear blue. Just God's decision. God's decision. And Mary shows up highly favored, having been highly favored. Now, as I've mentioned before, as I've mentioned before, The only other place this particular verb takes place in all of the New Testament is Ephesians 1.6. Let me just read into that for you. Talking about you, if you're a Christian. And here's your story. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ unto himself. Verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace, to use the language here, to the praise of the glory of his grace upon which he highly favored us in the beloved How is it that you came to have a part in the Messiah? God. God. Before the foundation of the world. Predestined you to this end. Why? Simply his favor. Highly favored. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Not to our track record. Not to anything we did. His grace, having highly favored us in the beloved. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Favor to what? To favor to bring into being the one who will be great, who will be called the Son of of the Most High. She's the fulfillment, you see, of that promise given to Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Mary, you've been highly favored. You're bringing that one into the world. You're the chosen vehicle of bringing Isaiah's prophecy to fulfillment. Verse 31, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Isaiah says, He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, No End. No end to his reign. He'll be called Son of the Most High. John opens his gospel by telling us, well, he actually shares exactly the same essence of the Most High. That's the later language of the church. But it's all they could really figure out to do with John 1, 1 to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The word was with the Most High, but the word was the Most High. Yes. Yes. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. A remarkable, remarkable thing. Uh, Samuel. 
Second Samuel 7, 12 to 17, particularly verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Also echoed in Isaiah of his kingdom. There will be no end. Ultimately, new heaven, new earth, king of kings, lord of... That's the picture. That's who's coming to the world. That's the fullness of time, the arrival of that person. Secondly, Mary has a question for the angel. Mary has a question for the angel. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, How can this be, or how will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now the scholars run all over the place here uh, as to the plausibility of this conversation. Is it historical? Is it this? Is it that? Uh, The most straightforward reading... All you have to do is assume something uh, that seems to be on the surface of both Matthew and Luke's telling of the story. Namely, that Mary heard the announcement of the angel to imply all but immediate fulfillment. Because otherwise, she, she really should have no problem, right? She's engaged to be married, you're going to bring forth a son. Oh, well, Joseph and I will soon come together and, and, and then we'll have a child and this child will be quite remarkable. But that doesn't seem to be how she heard it. She heard it. You're saying that it's quite immediate which, as it turns out in Luke's account, is exactly what it was, because by the time she can travel over to see her cousin Elizabeth, the baby leaps inside of Elizabeth because the mother of the Messiah is there. And so it's because that's her understanding that she says, how can this be? How can this be? And she uses very, very bold, clear-cut language that's sort of mellowed out a little bit um, uh, by, 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 by our text. Um, what she really just literally says is, because I am not knowing a man. In other words, I have never had any sexual experience at all. So how could this be? How could I possibly be with child when I have no sexual experience at all, and Mary knows where babies come from. And it's then that the angel responds to her and explains through the involvement of the Holy Spirit. And this is where... um, We'll go over to see the parallel in Matthew 1, 20 to 23. Joseph has found out now that Mary's with child. He knows that he's had no sexual experience with her at all. And so he, he assumes that she has been unfaithful and he's trying to figure out how he might rid himself of this betrothal without bringing too much shame and embarrassment to Mary and an angel Um, comes and sees him in a vision. Joseph, son of David, Matthew 1.20, don't fear to take Mary to be your wife, for that which is already conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill... What the Lord spoke by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and 
they shall call his name Emmanuel. And now there's a scholarly explosion. And everybody starts running in various directions to explain, so what is going on? How is the birth in the first century a fulfillment of a promise um, that when you go back and read it in its context is given to Ahaz, the king. Um, And it's not a friendly word. Ahaz, Lord's willing to give you a sign so that you'll start listening to him, which you never have. And Ahaz goes all pious on the prophet, so I don't really need a sign. Don't, Don't bother. Don't bother. So the question is, so how could this birth have anything to do with Ahaz? And there's lots of various solutions. But the one that's kind of gotten popular over the last 40-some years in the uh, evangelical community is by an Old Testament scholar named A.J. Motyer, who just says, now look, um, and this is going to be a, a, a very, 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 very condensed version of uh, Matyer's argument. But he says, look, there's, there's prophecies and there's prophecies. There's, you know, there's prophecies where you sort of hope that the person receiving the prophecy gets the sign and then repents. But there's also prophecies in which the person who gets the sign has already sort of been written off. And so they're not getting any gracious information. And the prophecy is simply a confirmation of the thing that was said to the king. And that's what Machir takes it to be. So that in short order, in short order, the northern kingdom disappears, the southern kingdom disappears, and now you've gone centuries and there's been no king on the throne in Israel. And then the ultimate king arrives through a virgin. And that's the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14, spoken in warning to Ahaz. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive in her womb, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. That is, you shall call his name God with us. You see, Machir's other argument is, and that little Emmanuel at the end, he says, you're, when, you're reading the, when you're reading the book of Isaiah, you should see Isaiah 7.1, to Isaiah 9-7 as one block. One block of text. So that when you read here, when you read here, um, Emmanuel, God with us, you should fill out who that turns out to be precisely at the end of that text block when you get to Isaiah 9-6 and following. For us a child is born, and a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of the government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end. And there it is. God with us. A child born, a son given, the center of all hope. God himself becomes flesh and dwells among us in John's terms, John 1.14. And all of this is tied up here. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The very text we'll come back together uh, this afternoon on, which is the final text for uh, the Advent calendar. Thirdly, the angel teaches a grand theological truth to Mary and then applies it. Teaches a grand theological truth to Mary and applies it. 
Verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Be it done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from you. And the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that which was born from you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now this, the sign is, now this sign is given to Mary to confirm her. So go see Elizabeth, and what you're going to find is Old Elizabeth, who couldn't possibly have a child, you're going to find her six months pregnant. That's what you're going to find. Your relative Elizabeth, in her own old age, has also conceived a son and born a child. Now, there's a string of this. There's a string of this that runs through the Old Testament this kind of thing related to the central nature of God's dealings with his people. It's, it's where Isaac comes from. In the Abraham cycle, Genesis 18, 11 to 14. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. Now here's her medical language. The way of women had ceased for Sarah. In other words... No more cycle, maybe not for years, for years. The way of women had ceased for Sarah. Now, there's no possible way Sarah can bear a child. And she knew it. And so it is that she laughed at the notion. Uh, a year before the event, that she could possibly bear a child. The way of women had ceased with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall indeed Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And then the Lord asks the theological question that the angel addresses to Mary. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And then confirms that no, there isn't. At the appointed time, I will return to you next year. And Sarah shall have a son. Jeremiah makes a similar sweeping statement about God. Jeremiah 32, 17. Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth and by your great power and by your outstretched arm. And then says, nothing, nothing is too hard for you. And the angel picks up on this and says to Mary, for nothing will be impossible with God. I mentioned last week my New Testament professor at Trinity, um, Dr. Liefeld, who back then was this 54 years old, died last month at 96. He was writing a little commentary on Luke while we had him in class, and uh, he was exceedingly gentle and kind and gracious man. Uh, So the fact that he regularly complained about something was very out of character. But he was regularly, like once every two weeks, 
complaining about his fresh interaction with the editors of this commentary where they kept cutting the number of pages that he had. And they did cut him down to a ridiculously small number for the Gospel of Luke so that his little commentary on the Luke is only 260 pages long. Um, you say, well, that doesn't sound that short. Well, if, if you... Uh, if you compare it to Daryl Box, uh, Daryl Box commentary on Luke is 1,966 pages long. But you know, in reading all the various accounts, um, on this line, Dr. Liefeld, in that little 260-page commentary, really did get off the best line practical line for us. We read something like this. Here's what he wrote. This, he said, when you read something like, for nothing will be impossible with God, Dr. Liefeld wrote, surely one of the most reassuring statements in all scripture Now we never know exactly what God's going to do in any situation. We never know what he's going to do in our situation. But Dr. Liefeld is simply saying, but it ought to be incredibly reassuring to remind yourself what he is able to do in any situation. What he's able to do especially if you take seriously something like Psalm 56, 9, second half of the verse, where the psalmist says, In this I know that God is for me. In this I know that God is for me. The very God of which it said, and nothing's impossible for him. He can do anything, anything, anything he wants. And Mary's response to all this is is famous, right? Where she says... Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Now, there's ramifications to that. Some of them experienced immediately, right, where Joseph thinks she's been unfaithful and accuses her of such and starts proceedings to get rid of her. That was immediate and got cleared up really fast. But other ramifications are still there 30 years later. At least very, very likely that's what's going on in John 8 when there's this dialogue back and forth between the Jewish leadership and Jesus. John 8, 39, and he answered them, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abram did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, and I heard from God, this is, what Ab- this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works that your father did. And they said to him, we are not born of fornication. We're not born of sexual immorality. Implication being, like you are. We've heard the rumors. We know. Thirty years later. 30 years later. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Right? That's an expression, right? Of just the center of, you know, We always say the center of Hebrew wisdom, literature. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't think you can figure everything out because you can't and you won't. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. That is, he'll see you through. He'll see you through whatever he's calling you to walk through. That attitude didn't leave Mary either after 30 years. Remember at the wedding of Canaan when Jesus sort of has to rebuke her a little bit for getting ahead of herself. Her attitude toward him is to say to the crowd, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. You can trust in him with all your heart. You go ahead. Whatever he tells you to do, you simply do it. Um, That is stellar advice for us. We'll close with where we'll start tonight, Isaiah 9, where Jesus, think of who you get to listen to. First thing Isaiah says about this child, wonderful counselor, wonderful counselor, a fountain of divine wisdom for where we find ourselves this Christmas Eve 2023. With all that's going on, with all that we don't know, with all that makes us fearful, with all that makes us sad, with all that presses in on us. What a wonderful thing to know that we have a wonderful counselor who is mighty God, who is everlasting Father, who is the Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for these words from Luke down through the centuries about the fullness of time. Oh Lord, may we marvel as we reflect on the fact that not only Mary, but we We have been highly favored. We should think of ourselves in line with praising the glory of your grace because you have highly favored us in the beloved, the very beloved son born in Bethlehem to a virgin named Mary in the line of Joseph which is the line of David, fulfilling all of your promises. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.